Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. So more consistency here in the month of January, not only just the first Sunday of the year, but the first day of the year. I want to say welcome to the faithful few. I appreciate you being here, not just on January 1, but the 9 o'clock gathering. And uh, it means a lot to me that you would be here. Uh, I hope we have enough room for everybody in the next gathering. We are very strategic, um, meaning what I mean by that is that we try so hard to be very strategic going into the new year, and we launch connect groups today. So that already is a double whammy to send people to the second gathering. And so as a leader, you learn the dynamics of people, but you being here matters a lot to me. And so I appreciate you being here Again, nine hours after the clock uh, ticks midnight, right? Which, by the way, Georgia and the field goal was missed right at 12.00.01. It's the first football in the history of football where the snap took place in 2022 and the field goal was missed in 2023. And so if you saw that last night, pretty amazing of what took place uh, last night. But we are starting this brand new series called More Consistency And I'm really, really excited about what God is going to speak to us today. If you want to, you can take out your phone and take a picture of the QR code and you can follow along with the sermon card today. Or you can also find that online uh, if you'd like to um, with uh, our website if you just want to go straight to dwellingplacemovement.org. Martin Luther, father of the Protestant Reformation, he said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Hudson Taylor, who was a great missionary to China, he said it's impossible. Uh, It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Ian Bounds, who wrote many great books on prayer, said God shapes the world by prayer. He said the more praying that there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And finally, Billy Graham said to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. I don't know about you, but when I hear sayings like this, I resonate with them. I initially agree with them. I say amen to them, but i got to be honest with you. I don't always feel great when I hear those statements. Sometimes those statements about prayer make me feel guilty. I've discovered that when you mention prayer and spiritual disciplines, there are people that when they hear, hey, we're going to talk about prayer, which by the way, we're not talking about today. I'm setting up what I'm about to talk about. They have one of two reactions. Okay, and I'm speaking here generally, but one reaction is boredom. You talk about prayer, people are bored. The other reaction is anxiety, okay, guilt. Let me explain. You say, hey, we're going to talk about prayer. They go, oh man, that's such a boring topic. And that's probably because they heard, I bet we have all heard, people pray in monotone voices, right? Droning on and on and on and mentioning everything and everyone. And you're hearing, they're going, put an amen on it, man. Just stop it. I get it. They're not praying to us, they're praying to God. That's their prerogative. But if you're a part of a prayer meeting like that, you've felt that before. Maybe you've thought that before. The other feeling people get when it comes to prayer probably most often is anxiety, guilt. Man, I'm so bad at praying. Man, I don't do it good enough. I don't pray long enough. And so they get frustrated. So I want you to know this first Sunday of 2023, you're not alone if you feel that. You need to know that some of the greatest prayer warriors in history felt that exact same way. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Pastor Chad just mentioned, great German pastor. God used him. He was executed in an attempt or a coup against Hitler himself in World War II. He admitted, Bonhoeffer, that his prayer experience was something he was so ashamed of. Well, that doesn't make me feel great because I look at his life and his life in prayer was well beyond my life of prayer. Martin Luther, founder of the Reformation, whom I just quoted, he anguished in prayer most of his adult life for about three to three and a half hours every 24 hours. He was three to three and a half hours of prayer every day. He walked away saying the worst part of my spiritual life is my prayer life. Completely unsatisfied. I've discovered that many people who labor in prayer, they walk away from their labors feeling disappointed. They walk away feeling frustrated. And also I wonder, maybe it's us as humans that have done that, not God. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, prayer was actually meant to be a joyous, life-giving, delightful experience. And maybe we as humans have turned it into and forced it into kind of a hard, painful, guilt-giving experience and exercise that no one can attain to. And just my thought this first Sunday is maybe not God has done that, but maybe we've done that. In fact, maybe prayer was meant by God to do the exact opposite. Maybe prayer was meant by God to not produce guilt, but to relieve guilt. Not to rob us of peace, but to actually give us peace. Not to elevate our anxiety, but to alleviate anxiety. Perhaps could it be that prayer was supposed to be a key to joy? A joy. I believe that. I don't believe you should walk away from prayer going, man, I wasn't good enough or I wasn't long enough. I don't believe that. I think, it, I think when we think about prayer, it was meant to alleviate anxiety, produce peace. You say, Craig, how do you know that? You don't have to turn there with me, but just listen to this. This is Philippians 4. Paul said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's what prayer was meant to do. It was meant to, what? Up the game of peace in our heart. Up the game of joy in our heart. So as we start into a new year, talking about consistent consistency in our life, consistent spiritual disciplines... We have, as a church, said, man, what can we do to help serve you? If you didn't uh, pay attention or catch it this week, um, we are launching Connect Groups today. If you go to the Next Steps table, there's an opportunity for your own true transformation to take place. Many of them are going to happen right after our second gathering today in the afternoon hours. Many of them happen uh, today. Some of them happen on other nights of the week. We have a Bible reading plan for you to engage God. Nothing will invigorate your prayer life and your life with God more than reading Scripture. They're available out in the lobby starting today. It's a five-day reading plan. What's so amazing about that is you got two days to catch up every seven days. You get an Old Testament, a New Testament reading every day, a psalm and a proverb, what we call the wisdom literature, an opportunity for you to grow in knowledge of God's Word, right? You can't be any more spiritual than you are scriptural. And so as we engage God's Word, it's an opportunity. Many of you, you're looking at New Year's resolutions. I hopped on YouTube this week. You go to our YouTube page, Dwelling Place, and I just did a really short 12-minute video of how to craft a rule of life. A rule of life is about submitting to spirit-empowered practices that help us become who God called us to be. And so there's an opportunity to do that. We have on there uh, four different maybe level, level of questions that you can ask, that you can say, man, how could I be the person God wants me to be? And you can create one. This is an example of a rule of life in the domains of prayer, relationships, rest, and work. How can we commit ourselves to growing, to being consistent in our spiritual disciplines in our spiritual growth in 2023. But I want to tell you, when we, when we think about consistency, when we think about challenges that Jesus places before us, 
One of the most challenging uh, practices is this practice called fasting. Now, what I imagine today is going to be like is like shoving broccoli down people's throat on Christmas morning, okay? This, this message is not like bluebell ice cream spiritually, okay? So remember, as we walk through these things, they're healthy things that we need to consume spiritually that we might not always like to talk about. And in this message, I'm going to present a goal that I've presented to the Lord on behalf of our church for this next season of time. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to share the goal until the end of my message. But as a first step towards reaching this goal, we're kicking off 2023 in 14 days from now. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag with a seven-day fast. January 15 to January 21, Sunday through Saturday. We have a church-wide fast, and this message today is to address our fast, but also teach us a little bit about more fasting. Because when we think about fasting, my personal preaching philosophy is this. You preach when the congregation knows, and you teach when they don't know. So if you remember last week, I preached on the Christmas story. You know it, so I preached it. When we don't know a subject, I don't preach it. I usually teach it, right? And until we get it taught, we can't really preach it. We can't go to admonition, exhortation. And so I'm going to teach today, but unfortunately, far too many believers don't fully understand the importance and the power of fasting. And as it relates to our setting this really big goal that I'm going to share with you today, when you hear, I'm just going to tell you, when some of you hear the size of our goal, some of you are going to think, that's naive, Pastor Craig. Some of you are going to think, it's lunacy. Some of you are going to think, oh, this is just a boy setting his sights on the moon and hoping that he uh, lands in the stars somewhere. Listen, as we talk about the next season of, of, of our church, there is a problem in our city. I don't know if you know it. We live in Atlanta. And I don't know if we're all mindful of this, but there are over five and a half million people who live in our city. And it's estimated that 4.5 to 4.7 million of them do not know Jesus personally. Okay? They don't, they don't have relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not following Jesus Christ. Now, we've had an amazing year. 2022, a great year. But as a lead pastor of this church, I'm left at the end of 2022, and I'm going, man, is this what the next 25 years are going to be like? Certainly what I hadn't signed up for, God. Is it just about us coming together? Just about us starting more ministries? Just about us moving towards, again, one of our main goals, which is build our own campus? All of that's great, but if we don't do something to address the problem that we are surrounded by in this city, to me, that's the point. That's the point of being the family of God. If we don't increase its size, what's the point? That we want to say to people, there is hope, there is a gospel. Jesus has given his life for you. So you're going you're gonna to see as we walk through this message, fasting is going to play a big role in this goal. And here's why. Are you ready? Most of you understand this principle. Achieving big goals requires doing hard things. Achieving big goals requires doing hard things. It's easy just to set a big goal verbally, but if we don't take the necessary steps to walk it out, it's just talk. I considered titling this message today, Talk is Cheap. Talk is Cheap. But I just titled it Fasting, Hungering for God. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you four questions related to fasting. And the reason is this. Fasting is one of the harder things we do in our walk with Christ. It's not the hardest thing we do. By far, it's not the hardest thing we do. But it is one of the harder things. And while it's true that the price we personally play in a, in a, in a fast is huge, the payoff is extravagant. The price we pay in personal devotion is huge at times. The playoff 
is extravagant. So let's jump in. If you got a Bible, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to answer these four questions, and we're going to meander through these passages of Scripture to help us answer these questions. Four clear questions. Here's question number one. Why fast? Why fast? Why jump into a fast? It's some of what you are already asking when I say, hey, the first few days of 2023, we're going to be in a church-wide fast, and your flesh is asking the question, why? Why are we doing this? Can I not just celebrate New Year's Day, watching college football and the college football playoff and eat what I want in January? But let's answer the question, why fast? Okay, Here's the first reason. Because it's a common practice for a disciple of Jesus. It's a common practice for a disciple of Jesus. Fasting is common for a disciple of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, listen to what it says. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating the groom? Of course not. He said, but someday, this is our Lord speaking, the groom, me, will be taken away from them, the bride, church, and then they will fast. Okay, understand what Jesus is communicating here. He is saying as normal as celebrating is at a wedding, so fasting will be for my followers when I'm gone. Now, we need to let that hit us as a very strong statement. Because when I think about my annual calendar, when you think about your annual calendar, 52 weeks in a year, how many of those 52 weeks do I spend fasting? Well, for many of us, we don't fast unless the pastor calls the church to a fast. But this is not meant by Jesus to be the only time we fast. He makes it clear and says that the reason my disciples aren't fasting right now is I'm with them. But when I go, as normal as it is to celebrate at a wedding... So fasting will be that normal for my followers when I'm gone. It's going to be every day. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an everyday common practice. Fasting is to be common. Why? Because fasting is normal for followers of Jesus. Here's the second question to why fast. It's a necessary act for a follower of Jesus. It's a necessary act for a follower of Jesus. So it's not just a normal act for a disciple or follower of Jesus. It's a necessary act for a follower of Jesus. If you're in Matthew chapter 9, you can flip back a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus fasted and he became very hungry. Now, how many of you be hungry if you went on a 40-day fast and only had water? Come on. I would be hallucinating at 40 days, okay? Verse 3. During that time, the devil said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is a very important passage of Scripture for us. I want you to think about the context here. Jesus has just been baptized. This is the first act of his public ministry. He gets baptized. The voice of God speaks out. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's the first time we see the Trinity on earth, by the way. The Spirit descends like a dove. Son comes out of the water. Father speaks. He says his first steps in public ministry are to be led out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Now, I'm telling you, when we think wilderness, we think like a forest. This is a deserted 
desert wilderness. I've been there. You can't see a blade of grass for miles in this part of the world. And Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into this deserted place to fast for 40 days. Now remember something. First are the, of the utmost important to God. First are important to God because the first belongs to God. That's why we worship on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. That's why we're in church today on the first day of the year. That's why we're bringing a first fruits offering in the, in the fifth Sunday of this month. That's why we take time to set our hearts first on God and the things of God. And the first step Jesus takes in his public ministry is to fast. The first step. He's sending a message to all his followers. Listen, here's how important fasting is. If you're a follower of mine, it's the first thing I'm going to do. Another way to say it, are you ready? Anytime you plan on doing significant things for God's kingdom, it should always start, next slide, with a big first step, and fasting is one of the big first steps we can make. If I'm going to do something significant for the Lord, if I'm going to do something that wreaks havoc on the kingdom of darkness, the first step Jesus lays before us as a pattern is he's going to fast in his public ministry. Now, back in 1961, there was a band called The Tokens. You're probably not familiar with that name, but you are familiar with the song they wrote. They probably had no idea this song would be as famous as it became. Here are some of the lyrics, see if you remember this. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps. In the jungle, the quiet jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. Near the village, the quiet village, the lion sleeps tonight. Not much to the song, and then the best part of the song is oh we moe, 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 right? And everybody remembers that. Well, let me ask you a question. What happens when the lion's not sleeping? What about when the lion's on the prowl, ready to pounce on its prey? That's what Peter tells us in the New Testament. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a, not a sleeping lion a roaring lion seeking whom he devour. And that's a very weighty statement. Imagine if you went to the zoo and over the PA system you heard an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, we regret to inform you that our lion has escaped the enclosure today and is roaming around the zoo. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, he hasn't eaten in 14 days. So please be cautious. You'd be so cautious you'd leave the zoo. Well, in this chapter, Luke chapter 4, Satan, the roaring, roaming lion, meets the lion tamer, meets the greater lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in a confrontation, Jesus, the light of the world, confronts the prince of darkness in this classic text of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, over the years, I've discovered a lot of people don't really believe in the devil. They say they do, sort of, but they really don't. They don't believe in the devil as like a real literal personality. Maybe he's a symbol of evil. Maybe he's a representative of the bad stuff that happens, but not an actual real person. And I understand why people would have trouble with that because if they're not believers or they're not born again. But what troubles me is a poll was just done by Barna and they looked at people who claimed to be born again Christians in America. The poll said that 32% of born again believers in America think that the devil is a symbol of evil. 68% are so undiscipled they don't know the devil is a real personality. Another 11% somewhat agree with that statement. 5% said don't know. So if you add it all up, you have about 48% of people who say they're born-again Christians 
who think that the devil's symbolic or they just don't know about the devil. I want to tell you something. I think the biggest mistake a person can make is when they have an enemy that exists, but they deny that the enemy exists. That's the biggest mistake. And I guess the question is, how much stock do you place in what Jesus said? Do you place weight in what his words were? When he referred to the devil, he called the devil a him. He called him a he. In Luke chapter 10, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Sure doesn't sound like he's thinking about a symbol of evil, but a real person, a real entity. Now, you should know that ever since Satan fell, and that's recorded, by the way, in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, ever since Satan fell, he's tried to wage war on God to some extent to the plan of God. And because that's been true, you must understand, we would expect that once the Messiah comes to the earth, there would be some kind of confrontation, right, that takes place in this sphere called earth. And that's what we have in Luke 4, this confrontation in the midst of fasting. You should also know that Satan, Jesus, I should say, has always been under Satan's number one target since a problem or a promise was given to the devil in Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman would eventually what? Crush the head of the serpent. Ever since then, the war was waged, but he also attacks people. And we would say if Jesus is Satan's number one target, then why does he care about people? It's called collateral damage. So Satan knows his fate. He knows that he will never have what he originally wanted. He'll never be able to overthrow heaven. So he can only cause collateral damage. He can only accuse people who are saved, and he can only keep people who are unsaved, unsaved. Distract them, deceive them, keep them out of heaven. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He tries to plunge the world into disarray, disorder, rebellion, and chaos. I want to tell you, he's done a pretty good job. What I want to show you in Luke chapter 4 is this is so amazing because if you read this verse, if you really get an understanding of what Jesus is actually communicating, okay, this is what's powerful. The, 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 the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove and that He's immediately thrown into the wilderness. So watch this. The heaven is opened, so hell opens. And that's the relationship I want you to see to fasting. The action of God always involves the reaction of the devil. Bright lights attract nasty bugs. You turn on a light in the summertime on your porch, you wait a little while, right? There's all sorts of activity going around in that light. The more you do business with God, the more likely you are to do business with the devil. Nothing promotes the activity of Satan as much as the proximity of a child of God to God. And the closer you get, the more active he is. It's just the way it works. It's the symbolic relationship all through Scripture, a symbiotic relationship. You can see in Luke chapter 1, or like Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, filled with the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. He says he ate nothing, and when he ended, he was hungry. You notice the language, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, tempted by the devil. I find that to be a pattern. Not just here, but in other parts of the Scripture. As soon as the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt... Pharaoh chased them to destroy them. The moment God does work in your life, it will be challenged. You should expect it. It should be an expectation. As soon as Hezekiah held a Passover in Jerusalem, a renewal back to God, King Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, surrounded the city to destroy it. As soon as the disciples saw the transfiguration of the Lord on Mount Tabor, they went down the mountain, there was a demonized kid, and they could not cast the demon out of the dude. And they go to Jesus and say, what's going on? Soon as you get around Jesus, negative activity is inside it. 
demonic activity has started. Something else I seem really noteworthy is, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke's account, all of them, Jesus goes out specifically to pray to his Father to be prepared for the next three years. This is the beginning of his earthly ministry, so to prepare for what's inevitable, the sacrifice on the cross. He gets along with the Father to what? To pray, to fast, to seek the Father's will, and Satan attacks him. Have you ever noticed that when you go to have quiet time, things you never thought of come to your mind? I mean, things you've forgotten about, weird phone calls, distractions come the moment you sit down with Jesus. It's almost like the devil doesn't want you to have it. Yep, that's true. Why? Because he knows and you draw near to God. That's where the power is. Listen to me. The unlimited power of God in your life is limited to your prayer. So I can say it's unlimited, but it is limited. And it's limited to your prayer. It's, in, it's limited to your devotion. Your getting along and abiding in the power source. You've all heard of Murphy's Law, right? If anything bad can happen, it will happen. Do you know there's... Lucifer's law, at least that's what I'm going to call it. Lucifer's law is anything Satan can ruin, he will ruin. Anything he can destroy, he'll destroy. So anytime you move close to God, that's a good thing. Things are going to shake things up a bit in the kingdom of darkness. And I say good. I'm up for a good fight. Are you up for a good fight? To go into January 15 as a seven-day fast and say, you know what? We're going to fast. We're going to what? Push away the food in order to, to make room for God. Now, <clears throat> I want to ask a question. When you think about fasting, if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for his followers. The devil comes to him and says, Hey, bro, you look pretty hungry. If you're really the son of God, why don't you just whip up some bread out of those stones right there? And, and Jesus, knowing that his followers would read this account for thousands of years following him, he goes on record and quotes Deuteronomy 8. And he says, Now you listen to me, devil. I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this to every follower who will read this record. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Here's what Jesus is saying. Watch this, church. If you ever have to choose between physical food and spiritual food, go with the one you can't live without. Now, did you see what your mind just did? Many of your minds think we can't live without physical food. Yes, you can live without physical food for a period of time. Jesus is saying you can go without physical food, but you cannot go without spiritual food. Here's another way to say it. Are you ready? Fasting reminds us that we can actually go without the things we're convinced we can't live without, but we cannot live without what far too many believers commonly leave out, spiritual food. That's what fasting reminds us of. It reminds us. Think about it like this. You ready? The earthly system requires sustenance, but the heavenly system requires dependence. Fasting reminds us of that. And it teaches us that we can do without these things, but we cannot go without spiritual food. And listen to me closely. Part of fasting is making more room for God to speak. I want to say to you, church, if the only spiritual food you're getting is in church once a week, you are an emaciated follower of Jesus Christ. Church, listen to me, weekend sermons are meant to supplement your spiritual growth, not sustain your spiritual growth. So you're emaciated if the only spiritual protein you get, what God's called you to do is too significant and too big for you to only be getting spiritual protein one time a week. God created you for far more than that. And a fast reminds you 
that the very thing God created you to run on is spiritual food. Here's the third answer to the question, why fast? It is a romantic gesture for a lover of Jesus. Fasting is a romantic gesture for a lover of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, he says, Therefore, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, I what? I pledge or, or beg or coax to you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I don't have the time to break down this whole verse, but I do want to draw your attention to two Greek words. And I don't know if you've ever heard this about Romans 12. Paul uses two powerful Greek words, okay? Now, I don't know about you. I, I memorized originally Romans 12, verse 1 in the, the Old King James. Okay, anybody remember memorizing the Old King James? In the Old King James, what did it say? I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. Anybody ever memorized that version before? Okay, that beseech word in Greek, or that word urge, is the word parakaleo. Now, that's two Greek words fused together. Para, meaning alongside of, kaleo means to call or to beckon. What is going on? The picture here is Paul coming alongside of you in 2023, and he puts his arm around your shoulder. He's bringing you in close, para kaleo, and he is begging you. He is pleading with you. He is coaxing you. He's trying to persuade you. What? Meaning this is of the utmost importance. Well, Craig, what's he begging me to do? Well, he uses another Greek word, peristomai. So he now draws you in close. It literally means to sacrifice peristomai or to dedicate something to the Lord. And here's what he's saying. I'm begging you to give to God the gift that is at the top of God's list for the earth. What is the gift God wants more than any other gift? Well, it's salvation. But after salvation... Once you become a child of God, what is God's desire? The thing that's at the top of God's list, if you want to give God an incredible gift, He wants you to daily, consistently, constantly be a living sacrifice set apart for Him. And Paul says, this is what pleases God. I'm begging you. I'm putting my arm around you. Now, that's the way my mom is wired, y'all. If she's going to give you a gift, she don't want to just give you a gift at Christmas. She wants to figure you out. She wants to find out what gift you really want. And that's why when we get around family, we're always looking forward to, we call it, my kids call her Nana. I call her mom, right? They're making fun of her all the time. But she's so excited. She can't hold on to gifts. On December 24th this year, my kids were so excited about the gifts they gave to me. They don't even want to wait to Christmas Day. Dad, they're just coaxing me on Christmas Eve. Just open one present. Mom, would you just open one present? This is how we should see fasting. Many of us look at fasting like, oh goodness, it's January. Instead of this is a gift I'm giving to God. I can't wait to see his face. I can't wait to see his expression. I don't want to wait till January 15th. I want to give him that gift now. I want to draw in close to God. I want to show God that I I want to be a living sacrifice. He longs for me to live in such a way where I am a living sacrifice. Here's the romantic statement that fasting makes to God. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. I'm not here for my stomach. I'm here for you, God. I'm going without these things because I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. Here's the second question we got to answer related to fasting, and this is more specific to our fast as a church. What are we fasting? What are we fasting as a church? 
If you're taking notes, write these two things down. Here's the first one. We're fasting our appetite for favorite choices. So I want to go ahead and tell you, because you got 14 days to prepare, we're calling the entire church to a liquid-only fast at least for the first three days. It's what we've done this past year. Now, there's a couple of disclaimers. If you're on diabetic medication and you have to have food, you need to consult your doctor. If you're under the age of 12, 12 is a pretty good age, we would just really challenge you if you're under that age and feel the opportunity or call to do a complete liquid fast, make sure that's approved and communicated, obviously, with your parents. If you have some kind of medication that is requiring some kind of food, if you're pregnant, obviously, you know, you give all these disclaimers, but we're, we're asking the church to ask or consider going on seven-day liquid fast, at least the first three days of liquid. And here's what I'm saying. If you call this church home, I simply want you to do one thing over the next 14 days. I want you to take time and prayer and ask the Holy Spirit as it relates to the food that you can go without for seven days. God, what is food that I love that I can go without to make more room for the spiritual food that I can't live without? Whether that's a favorite meal of the day, whether that's a favorite food. Some of you may transition to a Daniel fast. Some of you, it's doing away with coffee. Some of you are thinking, get thee behind me now, Satan, in Jesus' mighty name, right? Here's one of the reasons why it's so important to fast food. And in America, what we've done is we started fasting other things, haven't we? In the last 20 years, it's like, oh, I'll fast this or I'll fast that. I want you to hear me. I'm going to tell you why it's important to fast food, not just media, not just something external. The reason it's important to fast food is because it reminds us more than anything else in fasting. We can go without physical food, but you cannot go without spiritual food. You can't go without the words of God. I want to show you a passage in Proverbs 23. I bet you've never heard preached on in a fast. I haven't. It's going to feel shocking, and it's going to feel awkward just for a moment. But let me give you the context after I read it. Proverbs 23, verse 1. says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Now, that sounds kind of strong, doesn't it? Like, did anybody sit down on Christmas Day at the family dinner table and have the thought, man, that pie looks good. No, no, no. That's not what... Solomon is saying, he's not saying, we'll literally slit your throat if you like food and you're in the presence of the king. Here's what he's saying. Are you ready? Solomon's trying to teach us. If you find yourself in the presence of a king and the food is placed before you, make fellowship with the king more important to you than the food on your plate. If you are in the presence of a ruler... Do not get preoccupied with looking at the table. Keep looking at the ruler. Stare at the king. This happens with my wife from time to time. We're on a date night. We have a really, really good date night, right? We might not get to all of our food. You at Christmas time go out to eat. You see new couples sparking and new relationships going. You can tell in the restaurant they don't give a rip about their food. Why? And it's true because as humans, God's made us this way. When you're in good company, the fellowship is far better than the food. Way better than the food. Now, let me, let me try to paint this picture even more clearly. Let's imagine you're hosting the most important, powerful king on the planet today at your house. And you decide to invite as many friends as you can that can fit around your dining table, and you also decided, I'm going to serve the most extravagant meal everyone's ever served. Lobster, filet, caviar, whatever, you're, whatever you think is awesome, that's what you're serving. 
The king shows up, your friends and family show up, they all sit down on your table, and your friends don't wait five seconds. They've never seen amazing food like this. I mean, they are faces down in the plate, and they are throwing down like Charlie Brown. They are tearing it up. Okay, watch this. At the head of the table is the king, and the king hasn't touched his food because he's been talking the entire time. And at the other end of the table sits you. And oddly enough, you're the only other person at the table who hasn't touched the amazing food because you are so enraptured and enamored with the king at the head of the table that you've forgotten there was food sitting before you. You have made fellowship with the king more valuable than the food presented to a king. When we fast, we are saying to God, I ain't here for the food. I'm here for the fellowship. I'm not here for the plate. I'm here for your words. I'm not here for what you've prepared. I'm here for your eyes. And I'm going to what? I'm going to go without some things to create more room to fellowship with the God of the universe. Here's the second thing we're fasting. We're fasting our favorite choice for, for appetites. Secondly, we're fasting access to outside voices. So we're fasting our appetite for favorite choices and then access to outside voices. If in your notes you want to put a parenthesis next to voices, you can put this word, media. Here it comes. I'm calling this entire church to a seven-day media fast. January 15 to 21, the church social media accounts will go black. Not a word. Not a word. Now, this is hard for me, really, really hard for me, because we have all-night prayer on day five of that fast, and I know how dependent people are for constant reminders to do the things God wants them to do. One of the ways we remind people is through social media. We're calling the whole church to a seven-day media fast. Go seven days. Now, let me understand, just help you understand for a moment why. Now, you say, Craig, well, I do it for my business. Well, do like I do and put them on schedulers. Don't access yourself, right? Seven days to turn out the voices. Now, you say, why are we doing this? Okay, watch this. Acts 13, beginning of Paul's missionary journey and the apostles. And I want you to see what they do in verse 2 of Acts 13. It says, as the apostles ministered to the Lord, they set themselves apart, fully devoted, focused on the Lord. They were fasting during this time. The Bible says the Holy Spirit spoke and said now to the leaders, separate unto me, God did, Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Okay, think about this. They set themselves apart. They quiet the voices around them. And wouldn't you know, the Holy Spirit speaks loudly and clearly. The moment they set aside all of the access to outside voices, the Spirit of God speaks. This is what happens for all of us once we silence the voices around us. Let's go back to our table illustration, okay? King's at your house, you remember? And let's say your friends and family have now finished their meal. And what happens when everybody's finished with their meal? Everybody starts talking, right? And they're talking so loudly and they're catching up and talking and the king is still talking and you're trying to listen to what the king is saying, but everybody else is talking so loud you can only see the king's lips moving on the other side of the table, but you just can't hear him talking. So what do you do? You do what any good dad does. You lose it, right? You flat out lose it. And what do you say? You at the top of your lungs scream to your table and you say, everybody but the king get out of my house. I'm trying to hear what he's saying and you're all talking about who knows what and you're all talking about things that don't matter, that are producing more anxiety and that are producing all kinds of craziness. Get out of the house 
I want to hear every word he's saying. Do you catch how romantic that is? What do you think the king is saying at the other end of the table when you temporarily kick everybody out of your house? He says, wow, she really likes hearing me talk. The king looks at you and says, man, he really longs to hear my voice. Now, here's the bigger question. Do you think when you take the steps needed to silence the voices around you so you can better hear the voice of the king, do you think your king is going to give you the silent treatment for those seven days? Ain't no way. No way. Why? You're going to hear God speak more loudly. And here's why. Fasting outside voices makes more room for His voice. For His voice. Now quickly, if you're here and, and you maybe don't know Jesus yet personally or listening and you don't know Jesus personally, I'm glad you're here. We're really excited you're here at the beginning of the year. But let me just ask a question. Why is it so important to quiet the other voices in my life just so I can hear God's voice? Why is His voice more important than other voices? We're a really good question. Let me give you two answers to the question if you're taking notes. Here's the first reason why God's voice is more important than other voices. Because number one, God's voice is the only voice that calls things into existence. God's voice is the only voice that calls things into existence. Romans 4.17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they are. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light with His mouth, with His words, and there was light. Okay, when I tell you I'm calling the church to a media fast for seven days, and remember, that's between you and the Lord. Maybe you're addicted to a particular news channel. And you turn on that news channel first thing in the morning before you turn on his channel. And you feel like, I need to take a seven-day break. Maybe it's social media. Let me just ask you, if you're feeling like I punched you in the gut, saying that we're going to fast social media for seven days together, let me ask you a question. Are you ready? Do any of the people or accounts you follow on social media have the power to speak anything into existence? None of them. There's only one voice that can speak things into existence. You can go without their voice for seven days, making room for God's voice. And the big reason why, ready? His voice is the only one that has the power to speak anything into existence. Here's the second big reason why God's voice is more important than outside voices. His voice, next slide, is the only voice which succeeds 100% of the time. God's voice is the only voice that succeeds 100% of the time. That's Isaiah 55, 11. God says it's the same with my word. I send it out, it always produces. My word will accomplish all I want it to. God says it will prosper everywhere I send it. Every time God speaks, it accomplishes what He wants. Now those are two really good reasons why we should temporarily silence the voices around us to make more room for His voice. Here's question number three. What will happen as a result of this fast? What's going to happen? Here you are. Number one, you will learn self-control. That's what fasting does. Every time you fast, watch this scripture, Proverbs 16, 32. It's better to be patient than powerful. It's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. 
In other words, it looks powerful and sounds powerful, but it is a city that's real easy to overtake. Meaning, self-control is one of the most underutilized strengths in the body of Christ. Self-control. We just have a lot of people in America who are used to giving themselves whatever they want, whenever they want it. And here would be a question if you struggle with that. If you struggle with saying yes to yourself all the time, whenever you want, maybe it's emotional for you. You feel like just, I want to be emotionally unrestrained. And you throw a fit when you can't. Maybe it's, you don't have the money, but you want to buy something, so you get out your credit card and you buy it because you want it. If you struggle with telling yourself yes all the time, fasting is one of the most spiritual, best spiritual practices you can adopt, and here's why. Is it ever really a good thing for you to tell yourself yes every time you want something? (laughs) Is that a godly thing? Now, your flesh would say yes, but your spirit would say no way. Why? Because you're not always right. And I'm not always right. Have you ever wanted something and then when you got it, you didn't like what you got? You regretted it? Listen, fasting teaches us self-control. And before we can learn to really yield to the Holy Spirit, we have to learn how to tell ourselves no. And listen to me, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this one-liner down as it relates to fasting and self-control. It's also, you'll see it on our fasting graphic for this month, okay? If you're gonna fast, it's gonna require a determined no. And here's what I want you to write down. You ready? A determined no always makes room for a divine yes. A determined no always makes room for a divine yes. Here's the second thing that will happen in this fast. We will be unified. Remember, we're not just fasting individual, we're fasting as a family. So in Psalm 133, a couple verses, but I just want to speak. Verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, what? Dwell together in unity. When the family of God does stuff together, listen to me, if I'm the only one, that takes this goal to God, and I'm the only one that fast or Pastor Chad at the beginning of the year to show that I'm serious about this goal, what it communicates to God is it's just a personal priority to leaders. But if we all do it together as a family, what we're communicating to God is a non-negotiable. This is the hardest part of spiritual leadership, by the way, to get people as excited about what God's asking to do as you are. That's the whole life of leadership how to think strategically and get people to be on the same page with what God is asking to do. So when we fast together, we say, God, we're setting ourselves apart for your kingdom to accomplish this goal. And fasting, God, we're going to unify ourselves together because Psalm 133 says this, when we're unified, it's like it brings a measure of anointing oil on anyone in alignment with what God is doing in that week. And they come together and we experience a favor and anointing that is spiritual and supernatural. Why? Because we do it together. Here's the third thing that will happen during this fast. I promise you, God will respond. God will respond. If you set yourself aside for seven days and you say, God, I'm fasting, God will respond in supernatural ways. I promise you, He will. He always does. I put in your note card, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I don't have time to read it today, but I'm going to give you the abridged version of the story. So Jesus tells this story of a woman who was seeking justice with her neighbor. And she goes to a judge that that Jesus describes like this. He says, this judge doesn't believe in God and doesn't even believe in doing good. And this woman goes to this judge every day. This is Luke 18, pleading for justice. And the judge who doesn't even believe in God and doesn't even believe in doing good gets so annoyed 
with her shameless persistence that the judge says, I don't even fully believe in the woman's cause, but because she is so shameless in her consistent persistence of seeking justice, I don't want to be annoyed any longer, and I'm going to see that she gets justice right now. Now, folks, what in the world is Jesus communicating? Think about that. Is he communicating that when we persistently go to the Father with a request that God gets so annoyed that he grants it so we'll go away? No. What God is saying, Jesus is saying, God through Jesus is saying, there are going to be times in your walk of faith where you're going to need such shameless persistence to break through. And Jesus says at the end, he basically says the Father's response to faith like that is not up for debate. And Jesus says, I wonder if I will find anyone with that kind of faith. I want you to hear my heart. I'm going to spend the rest of my time in ministry taking these requests before the Lord for this church. And I'm starting together 2023 for anyone who calls this church home the first days of 2023 in this new season for us as a church. I'm starting by letting him know I am declaring our intentions And God, I'm going to annoy the fire out of you until this goal happens. Imagine what would happen in 2023 if every morning you started your prayer time taking one person's name in your life who does not yet know Jesus before the Lord your God every day until you saw the God of the universe reach them with the love of Jesus. Shameless persistence. I promise you, if you set yourself apart for these seven days, not just for the good of our church, but in your own life and in your own family, you'll see God respond. That brings us to the fourth and final question. What are we fasting for? Whoever's playing keys, you can come. What are we fasting for? What is the point? What is the big goal? Well, let me just say, <clears throat> you can't do God's will without God's anointing. And when you try to accomplish God's plan for your life through your own strength and power, it's like trying to chop down a huge oak tree with a dull axe. Most likely, you're going to do more harm than good. But listen to me, before you stop, start chopping down the tree, you need to sharpen the axe, right? Fasting is like sharpening the axe. It gives you back your sharp edge, right? By feeling you with fresh anointing. Don't let that just be a churchy word. Anointing means the presence of the indwelling Christ. The anointing is what breaks yokes. The anointing is what heals lives. What do you need to do to make sure your fasting leads to a refeeling of God's anointing? You gotta fast with a purpose. So listen to me. It's important in these seven days to have a focus in your fast. If you'll see underneath the, the, the message card, Tony texted me back. She said, did you mean to have nothing underneath that? I did. I did. I'm going to give you a, a goal that I'm putting forth, but I want you to think about your goals for a moment. Deep in your heart. You're going to have to determine in the next 14 days why you're fasting. What area of your life needs increase? What area needs health? Is it your family? Is it your finances? Is it your ministry? Is it your business? You got to define your reason and write it down. Every time you fast and pray, you have, to, you have to pray about that purpose. Ask God to give you a fresh anointing on these specific areas. 
Remember, fasting is not dieting in Jesus' name. You're not fasting to lose weight or because it's January or because everyone else is doing it. You're fasting to receive the power of God's anointing in your life, the anointing to do what He's called you to do. And then you have to exercise your will in order to access that supernatural power. So there's two, there's two powers at work when you fast. Your own will, and it's real strong. And then there's the supernatural power of God. And when you fast, what you do is you exercise your own will by choosing to do without food in order to put your body and your spirit in submission to God. And as a result, the supernatural power of God flows in your life and your situation. He fills you with His anointing. The supernatural anointing of God is not for thrills, it's for battle. And when you're in a battle, you fight to win. The anointing that comes from fasting, listen, it gives you fresh strength to fight for your family. If you need fresh strength in your marriage, if you need fresh strength to to love and disciple your kids, anointing gives you the ability to hear God's guidance and move in the direction He wants for you. Things that you can never accomplish on your own, it puts you in a position to receive that anointing. So if you're weary in the battle, weary from the same old problems, When you fast, you receive fresh insight, fresh power. Now I'm going to give you a goal. I already know many of you are going to think, man, this is lunacy. Some of you are going to think this is naive. I'm okay with all that. Here's the goal I've taken to the Lord. This is what God has authored in my heart. On behalf of our church. God, I'm I'm putting before our congregation a thousand souls over the next 20 years. I'm talking about DP Woodstock. My goals for DP movement, much larger than that. A thousand souls. I didn't say a thousand attendees. I said a thousand souls. Through the ministries of this church, God give us a thousand people. If this is where I'm going to plant my flag for the rest of my life, and God situated me in a city where there's just over five million people and four million of those don't know Jesus, I'm sorry, y'all. Can I just tell you, I can't spend the next 30 years of my life getting excited about more attendance and more giving. To me, that's simply a means to an end. They are not the end game. I don't want to get to heaven one day, and the only thing God has to pat me on the back about is, man, You had great attendance giving at your church. No, no, I want God to pat you on the back and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are a soul winner for the kingdom of God. You went out and fished for lost souls. I want to thank you for being a part of a move of God where thousands of people come into my kingdom as a result of what? Your sacrifice, your obedience. That's what I want and that's what we're going to do. You may not be here for the entire 20 years by God's grace. I'll be here for those 20 years. I'll be a part of dwelling place for those 20 years and we will reach this goal. And I just told the Lord this week when we do, we're going to throw the best party this city has ever seen. And you know what we're going to do? Whatever building, I promise you we won't be in this building 20 years from now. It might not be five years from now. It may not be two years from now. And when we're standing in that building, whatever building I'm at in Woodstock, and I'm standing there before this congregation, and I'm on the front row and a team is leading and whoever's up there leading, we're going to take every name and we're going to go down the list. And as every single name, all those thousand names, we're going to keep up with them. I'll 
talk to you about it more next week. As I see every single one of those names come across the screen, I'm going to what? I'm going to sit there hopefully with my head and my hands weeping and saying, God, this is what we want to give our life towards. We didn't come here to build some big church. We came here to build the kingdom of God. You can't stick us with five million people in our yard who do not know Jesus and we keep doing church like we've always done church. It's time for us as the people of God to wake up, to wake up, to put first in our heart the kingdom of God, his desire, and to share the gospel with people who need hope. To open our mouth. We have one life to live and it's over. I drive into church this morning and a dog ran across the road in front of another car right over here off a stringer. And when it did, it got hit. Big old beautiful like golden doodle. And the firemen came out and were resuscitating and picking up that, 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 that dog. And, and I just thought in my heart, man, it's, it's so bad to see a, a dog perish. And then it hit me as I kept going. There's thousands if not millions of people perishing right now in this nation, in our city that are going straight to hell. They so desperately need life. They need the gospel. And so we can put in our hearts before the Lord shameless persistence to say, God, everything we do as a church can be oriented towards reaching this goal until we achieve it. And by God's grace, we'll get to heaven. And there's going to be a sea of people that God used us to help get there. A sea of people. This is a little bit like David and Goliath. Our tiny little church of just over 250 people right now. Some would look and go, well, that's crazy. But when I read my Bible, every page I walk away and I go, that's crazy, man. Water parted, that's crazy. <laughs> that is born of a virgin, that's crazy. I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing normal. I want to see crazy. I want to spend the rest of my life and yours helping people who don't know Jesus experience something so far beyond what they thought was possible. And this is what we do. The family of God builds the family of God. And I'm going to tell you what I felt like the Lord's response was. I went to him in prayer. I don't feel like he handed this to me, by the way. Can I make this statement to you? I don't feel like he handed this to me when I was in prayer. I went to him in prayer as I've been reflecting for several weeks. And I, it was like I busted into his office one morning. And I just said, I'm throwing this down right here. Thousand souls over 20 years. And I felt like, you know what God's response was to me? This changes everything, son. Because now you're no longer allowed to behave according to the size of your church. You must behave according to the size of your goal. And so whatever we have to do. One of the other things we're fasting this year, I want you to put on your list, is for us to build a building a thousand yards away. We're a fast, let 2023, God, be the year where we begin construction. We build a building. Why? So we build buildings? No. So we can what? We can reach more people for Jesus. We can disciple more believers through growth phases. We can see more people engage in connect groups. We can see holistic discipleship take place. Why? For the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches. I'm going to tell you this morning, there's more than enough grace, oil, for you to stay faithful to the assignment. God's just looking for people who will make a predetermination. God, this is what we're set on. 
Would you bow your heads with me all across this room? Father, I thank you this morning for the spiritual gift of fasting, the call to fast, the spiritual discipline of pushing away food to say, God, we long for your voice. We want spiritual food. And God, in this first day, not just first Sunday, but first day of 2023, we want to put before you goals and dreams and ambitions that, Lord, don't insult you because of their size or our lack of faith, but ambitions, dreams, and goals that, Lord, you would ignite in our hearts. For many of us in this room, it's for our marriages to seek some level of communion and fellowship with you that that we've not known before. For others of us, it's our children being hastened to your throne to fulfill God's purpose, your purpose in their life. For others of us, it's, it's spiritual sin that seems to habitually hold on through the flesh, the power, the devil, the world. For others in this room, it's the ministry that you've put in our heart. It's the business you've placed on. It's the inclination you've given us, the impulse to lead in a certain area. And what's so powerful, God, is we can come together as your people and make a predetermination in 2023 that it'll be the best year of our life because it'll be the best year spiritually. Or we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and then all these other things shall be added. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would author faith in this congregation. Author faith in every heart, every life, God, to know that you're a God of the impossibility, that with God all things are possible. Like we talked about, Pentecostal Christmas, that God, your spirit, your anointing, presence of your indwelling spirit, God, you want to anoint us to go about doing good. Release those who are oppressed to the devil to see freedom and liberty be preached to the captive. Gospel be preached to the poor. People to be liberated. Transformed by the power of your gospel. And so, Lord, we just commit our 2023 to your hands. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.